I usually am drawn to like feminist themes, I would say. The Barbie one, the Barbie show Life in Plastic was like strongly, strongly about body image and like how it can be damaged or upheld and how like different different things that can impact you mm-hmm. uh, and your body image as you develop as you're young. Joan of Arc, I think, was in, like very much inspired by this like story of like, you know, a woman who has to like let go of everything that like defines you as a woman in order to like lead men. And then the most recent show, which is Tentacles, was much more about like women's sexuality and like how, what's the sort of idea of like feminine sexuality, women, and and more like the idea of like women as being treated as objects or women, you know, having agency in their own sexuality through the lens of tentacle porn. This is Unconditioning. Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello, and welcome to the 18th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Tessa Flannery. Tessa is a New York, Brooklyn-based actress, writer, and voiceover artist. She studied theater and archaeology at the University of Glasgow in Scotland, and she has written several one-woman shows, some of which have gotten recognition and acclaim and won awards at some French festivals. Tess and I met in the Pittsburgh area doing theater. We had both just returned from some adventures. Tessa had just returned from the UK, and I just returned from Europe and LA, and we were both in a very transitional time because it was the Great Recession, and there was a writer strike, and there was SAG strike, and so it was very difficult to be an artist during that time and try to plan a future, much less survive. And so Tess and I found each other during that time, and we became friends and supported each other, and she's become one of my favorite humans. And I'm really excited to share her with you. She's a treat. And so here is Tessa Flannery. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, This is the last week of my semester for school. And so I have a paper that I'm writing. And so... This is a good break. What's the paper on? Trying to like compare like artists creating from pain versus joy and like what the results would be differentiating that. Whoa. I'm sorry. Are you trying to solve the question art has been asking for (laughs) since the existence of art? I think the question of like, do you have to be damaged to be an artist? Pretty much. (laughs) This is incredible. When you find out, let me know. Yeah, because that's amazing. I mean, pain is a universal like experience, right? But yeah, so is yeah. joy. So why do we create yeah. pain more so than joy? Oh my god, you're so right. <laughs> I I think. I mean, I'm so intrigued. I need to know. I need to read your paper when you're done. If you and allow. Then, and then when you get into like the energetic nature of the universe. Does that pain ripple effect into society? And then we like stay within that. Right. Like, like when you create from pain, does it stay within the pain or does it like transmute that energy? 
mm. into something else. That is fascinating. And I like think so many things because my like I remember I did this like storytelling workshop and they were like, is it are you like telling the story that's a scar or a wound? And mm. they were like, if it's a wound, you're like not ready to tell the story. And I was like, ooh, shoot, like I have definitely yeah. like made plays about like effing wounds and like tried to make the ending like now it's all finished and fixed and like been completely wrong like not true oh so, interesting well we can get into that when, oh okay. when we dive in deep to right, Tessa right. Flannery <laughs> <laughs> oh man because I think you're pretty authentic to yourself or at least you appear to be and everything oh, no now we find out so <laughs> we're gonna see <laughs> oh no <laughs> Yeah, so the first question that I usually ask people is this. When was the first time that you realized that you had an inner voice that was your own and it wasn't influenced by your family or your environment or the way that you were brought up? It was just, oh, this is me. This is my own person and I am controlling what's happening inside of me. Mm. I think I I was like eight. I Well, the... Yeah. Tricky. That's such a tricky question. Because I feel like, yeah, I feel like when I first started to be like, I was like eight years old, like (laughs) biking up and down mean streets of the south side of Pittsburgh. But I would like, I would like bike. I was only allowed to go to the end of the block and back. I couldn't go around the corner, but I would go to the end of the block as far as Mm. I could. And then I would like look at the cars going by and I would be like, why are we here? (laughs) (laughs) What is the point of you know life and humans and and then I would bike back and then I would come back and and I feel like that's when I because I think that's probably around the time that I started to like question religious teachings Mm -hmm. as well because I went to Catholic school as a kid Mm -hmm. so me too (laughs) yeah yeah so it was like very much like you're indoctrinated right like the nuns were like this is this um yeah Oh, okay. So can you talk about that a little bit maybe then like in the Catholic school when you were eight years old, how did you, (laughs) how did you, how did you take that thought process of why are we here? Like, what is the point of this into this religious Catholic Mm. teaching? Uh, Well, I was definitely like a, so it makes me think about privilege a little bit too, because I kind of definitely had like quote-unquote smart kid privilege or like the privilege of like I did well at school so like nobody was ever like on my shit in terms of Mm -hmm. like the nuns were like oh well Tessa you're smart so you know so the but the problem was then that I like was like well I do well and I'm gonna I gotta keep doing well so I never was like challenging anything in class uh or like I would never like I feel like other kids would be like how come (laughs) If God, if Jesus did this, how come this? You know, <laughs> I was never like that. I was like, I accept everything that you say at face value, um, because that is what I have been taught to do. But I think, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I'm sure like you, like we went to church on Sundays and like, that was like an hour in which we were supposed to, you know, like sing the songs and like think holy thoughts but I think by around eight I was like I was like not meditating but I was definitely daydreaming at church yeah Mm -hmm. and like but I would be like 
daydreaming based on these like things and it examining things kind of mm-hmm. like definitely from like probably starting around eight, but like really getting into it when we, we moved when I was 10 and went to a new church, same religion, <laughs> but like new church, new everything. Like I went to CCD instead of Catholic school. So then it was like, I'm only getting like religious teachings once a week. So I was like, oh, well now I have to think about, I have to question <laughs> things once a week. Every day. Yeah. Every, every second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I was thinking all these like big thoughts about like what the point of life was and not getting the answers that I wanted from church and church teachings as a kid so I was like huh well maybe there's maybe there's other stuff I need to explore because I was a big reader and Mm -hmm. and like read a lot of books about like from lots of different perspectives and that was like sort of my view on the world because we didn't like travel you know I didn't travel I didn't have other like outlets or like ways to like a tv and books right (laughs) and church (laughs) okay so so when did the writing performance aspects of you come in which I feel like a lot of your work actually questions these things that you were contemplating at eight years old right yeah yeah I guess so um so I was I actually was writing like all through that time as like being a kid and big reader big time like secret writer like writing secret poems (laughs) things like that but um but yeah I did and I really wanted to be once I hit like high school I was like I really want to perform like I want to be a performer um and then no one was like (laughs) no one was letting me at my high school I'd like audition for the play and the musical and they'd be like no thank you um and I was like I'll do makeup then um but yeah I think I don't think I was I was writing but like it was like usually terrible poems and <laughs> I didn't start like writing and I did, I did finally start performing at the end of high school. They let me, but it wasn't until college that I started like writing more, like slightly more regularly and, and performing my own work. It was like the end of college really that I okay. started to do that. And you, you went to college in Scotland, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> let me <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so okay. How did you get from Butler, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and being in a couple of plays that they let you be in at the end of your high school career to going to Scotland and then studying theater? Mm-hmm. What was that process like? <laughs> what was that thought process? <laughs> Well, okay. I have a lot of people that I can blame for the fact that I <laughs> went to Scotland. So the I don't know if this was the same at your high school, but the final year of high school for us in like English class, depending what level of English you were in, I wasn't like in gifted English, but I was in like English, you're doing fine, you know, like English. I was not in remedial English. I guess, was it AP at that point? I don't know. Um, yeah, I was in AP. That makes sense. Okay. It, the, the our final year uh they were doing all british authors it was like all british literature english you know english quote unquote but it was like mm-hmm. it was mostly english writers <laughs> and um there were projects where we got to choose our own english things to study and, and british literature to study um and so i was getting a lot of interest in the uk from that plus you know my parents had always like we watched a lot of monty python and like a mm. lot of brit Brit TV and British film 
Um, and my mom had traveled in the eighties, like quite extensively for like a woman of not great, not incredible means in the eighties. Like she'd been to Europe, she'd been to Mexico, um, mm. and she had slides from those trips and she would show us them. Okay. <laughs> and that, that makes me see Pam Flannery a little more clearly now, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Pam Flannery went to Mexico. Um, <laughs> she, she went like with the youth hostels. They used to be able to like go and do like youth hostel, essentially like tours with other people in groups. So it like, and you were all staying at different hostels and, um, but yeah, her Europe trip, we have relatives in Slovenia that we're like still in contact with. And because uh, we're not that far, Pam, Pam Flannery, my mom <laughs> is like, <laughs> she's like second generation uh, American from on the Slovene side. Okay. So we have relatives in Slovenia. She visited them. Actually, then in the 2000s, I visited them when I was in college. But um, yeah, so travel was like a thing. Pam had done and I was eager to do from like all the things I read, all the shows I watched. Um, and when I decided to apply in the UK, I remember the guidance counselor being like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> um, because things are much later there. So like you don't find out at the time anyway, you don't find out that you got in until after the deadline has passed on accepting a space at a u.s university oh. so i had there was applied. some risk involved yeah there was some risk i had and, and also glasgow uni where i ended up going was like you you can get a conditional offer which means you have to fulfill certain things in order to secure your place there so i had a conditional offer i had to get like i had to do extra ap testing or sat2 testing and like i just had to like prove that i was like ready or something um, and I had to like maintain a GPA and, you know, well, all things that I was like on track to do pretty much, but it, they definitely made it more tricky. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I passed on places in the U S and like with fingers crossed and I applied at a place called uh, Bristol university as well. Um, so I, so I really wanted to go to Scotland because you can do two subjects that are very disparate and you get a master's degree at the end of four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in, um, in England, you go for three years and you get a BA, but you can only study one subject. And I was real keen to study theater and archaeology. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. What a fool. Um, but yeah. So anyway, what a long story. What a dreadfully boring story for no, everyone. That's but... not boring at all. Um, archaeology and theater. Um, did you combine those two things in your studies? So, so when my, when I first got there, my first year, you actually study three subjects. So the thing about university in the UK and in Europe is that you only really study the thing you're there for. You don't have to do, like, I didn't have to do calc. I didn't have to do like baseline gotcha. general studies, anything. I just was taking classes in theater and archeology span and, but my first year you do a third subject and I did classics. So that was really a bridge between mm -hmm. those two things. Yeah. Um, and then I like chucked classics out the window as soon as I could. I was tired of learning about the agora. Too much history. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's how those all connected. And that, and basically I had some help from my guidance counselor, a lot of help from my parents with like the application process and stuff. And um, 
the thing that's easy about the UK, and I would say like anybody who's thinking about it, do it, um, is that it's one application form for up to six different programs. So it's one essay, one personal essay, one you know, upload of your grades. <laughs> and then you can apply to like six different schools wow. or six different programs at one school or, you know, a mix. Well, that's super. That's that was good easy to know. and fun and good. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll go do that now. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> all right. You're, how you many can. degrees can one human have? <laughs> right. Okay, so I want to go back to this little eight-year-old Tessa on the corner of a Pittsburgh street looking beyond. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beyond what was beyond... <laughs> the corner of the street and Mm -hmm. now you're in a completely different country and Mm -hmm. I suppose you're probably on the corner of that street looking what's beyond and questioning things similarly to how you were as an eight-year-old of why am I here what am I doing and what's going to happen if I go beyond this corner it's true so I think yeah I I think there was part of me I think that was like well I found what's beyond it's this place it's like Scotland and like because it really was truly (laughs) like a whole new world like in a very aerial way of like everything is different here like I could understand people generally um (laughs) not when I first arrived (laughs) um but like uh it was a very different style of learning and a very different style of performing and of like doing theater and making theater and it made like creating my own work so much more accessible Mm -hmm. to me it felt very much like oh I could do this I was still intimidated by my classmates who all like knew who Brecht was I was like I don't know who that is (laughs) you know I thought I came here to learn that they were like oh if you don't already know Brecht like oh um, it's kind of part of part of their culture yeah exactly already know that yeah Right, because probably they'd already, like many of the students had already done like A-levels in theater and at the A, you know, quote unquote, (laughs) A-level level, you're already, you already know a lot of this stuff. Like A-level English, they were like reading German playwrights that like no one in America had ever heard of. Mm. So it was a little bit of an adjustment in that way. And I felt like a lot of times I was like, you know, running to catch up, but I was I was quite happy there and I was like, well, I'm going to stay here and make my <laughs> career here. <laughs> yeah. So what what was stylistically different about their approach to theater there versus here in US? Hmm. I I would say it's a more it's a slower, more collaborative process. At least when I was there, which to be fair, now <laughs> uh, I left the UK a little over 10 years ago. So, but I do think the process there at like, there's, you can survive as an artist in the mm-hmm. UK. Okay. Yeah. Just being an artist, you can survive and you don't have to, to be like working at a famous institution to do so. Like, I feel like here, be, maybe I'm also, cause I'm in New York rather than like in a regional market. But um, in New York, if you're not an actor, who's like working all the time at like, BAM, the public, you know, places that are like well-known, even if you're doing experimental work at these well-known places, like you're not on anybody's radar. You're not uh, able to make a living as an artist. And even many of those artists have to have other jobs right. to support the mm-hmm. work they make. I agree with you. So um, like even uh, even on a regional level, I mean, especially yeah. now with the pandemic going on, there's lots right. of. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's been extremely hard for every artist, I think the pandemic, but um, for theater artists so much. And then for theater artists in the U.S. who already there's like so much gatekeeping to -hmm. performance in the U.S., whereas in the U.K., you really can make your own art and you really can work with small companies and you really can like be contracted to like work with, you know, nonprofit organizations. And like there's just a lot of ways to support yourself as a theater artist there that there are not in the u.s Uh there's grant money there's grant money and you don't even have to have something at the end of it oh wow you know okay they did a big grant for (laughs) they did big grants for 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 during the pandemic to help support artists and they were like no you don't have to have anything at the end of this just like use this to like start working on art some of my friends who were there who like got grant money they were like, I have to have something by that. I have a lot of like super motivated friends who are like, I have to have something at the end of this. Um, and and everybody that I know, like, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, money is raining down from the heavens because it's hard to get those grants and you really have to be working hard. Um, and you have to, there are still gatekeepers in terms of like, if your work is liked by these people, right. then you can go really far, but you can make a living as an artist there, which is like, feels like insane (laughs) well i'm actually i'm developing a nonprofit, which i can talk to you about later that actually focuses on this very thing of just not being able to survive as an artist in society when artists are imperative to new ideas and innovation to propel society forward so it it doesn't make sense yeah and i mean I will say I just now I just today got an email like for a New York based like grant, but it's like just a space grant. So like a grant for like to give you rehearsal space. Nobody's doing what they would do in the UK, which is like a grant to like even take time to like sit and think about what you want to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm true. I'm making it sound like some kind of idyllic heaven, which or... it is not. And the arts have really been gutted by the conservative government there. But when you compare the cultures of yeah. art. It's like you're not going to in the U.S. You're not going to get any support until you have the final product and it captures people's imagination. Mm-hmm. You've got to like work your butt off for free. And then as like I imagine you're doing right now, like, <laughs> work your butt off for free. And then fingers crossed someone will like the end product. Right there. It's yeah. like I have this idea. Can I have a bit of money to like go and try and make it a thing? And there are more opportunities for that. Right. Or just like be able to eat so you can have the energy to think about what you want to do. Right. 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 (laughs) Rather than like, I'll get six jobs and then somehow do art in my sleep, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You were in Scotland for four years, five years. I was there for five years. So you were there for five years and Mm -hmm. you entered a foreign land. (laughs) <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> and studied all you could study and did you find did you feel like you got to a point where you caught up with the other students um you know what's funny no <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like um because I get like I was like an a straight a student in the high school and through like and I consistently was hitting like b's and even got like a c on a paper once even in the theater department and i feel like there was just something i was missing in that academic setting but i feel like um in the settings outside of like the academic setting and like i knew people who like went straight from that 
MA that we were that we were doing right into a doctorate that the department was like, hey, we like what you do. We're gonna we have this we have this uh, PhD program where we need somebody to hang out for three years and go like check out this island. And it was very hard work, but like, but like, kind of that's how it was. Like if you were a favorite, if you were like a golden, uh, okay, a golden person in the department, you got All to right. hang and do. More. So we won't mention any names, but like what. <laughs> What are your thoughts about, like, studying theater in an academic setting mm-hmm. and, like, staying true to your authenticity as a person rather than, like, maneuvering that so that you can fit within the certain guidelines of what is being taught or the professors that you have to appease them in your arts? That's a really great question. I, <laughs> for me... Mm, yeah because I've talked to people I've talked to people across the spectrum who went to and did um uh oh, what's the word when you just are only studying like acting like a and, conservatory like, a conservatory thing yeah yes I've 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 got friends who did conservatory I've got friends who like me did like a theater program and I've got friends who did none of those things and like studied with an acting teacher mm-hmm. in New York and stuff right yeah or did like the improv levels in mm-hmm. New York you know, and our stars of all the commercials now. Um, (laughs) And I feel like they're, I feel like the theater program for me and what, what a lot of my conservatory buddies have said, I don't know what it's like now, but the being in the theater program helped me figure out what I liked and gave me kind of forced me to develop my own toolkit for producing work of my own or for understanding how we go from like an idea mm-hmm. to a fully finalized production. Yeah. Whereas I have conservatory buddies who were like, all I know how to do is like these different types of acting. Right. And I don't have the tools to like create my own work, which, you know, I mean, I was chasing those tools because I took every course that involved the creation of work. Right. Um, Like I, I studied directing so that I could get mm-hmm. a like, in closer to acting because they didn't offer acting and I studied autobiography and performance because I wanted to be able to perform my own work so right yeah yeah and I studied like sound because I wanted to like create sound stuff so I think being in a theater program does give you the freedom to like specialize if you want and to like try a lot of different things um but if you know (laughs) I only want to be an actor um then a conservatory might be better. Or like, if you know, I only want to do tech, right? you know, there are, there are ways to specialize in a big general program like that. But if you're somebody who like, is sure that this is the only thing you want to do, then either conservatory or skipping. I truly don't think everybody needs to go to college. I think, you know, skipping it and just going and like studying with a great teacher or Mm -hmm. because you can get life experience. Life right, experience. right. Go and travel. <laughs> Do a gap year. Yeah, I got in trouble in my final like acting class because I wrote a paper. Um, I think it was like David Mamet's book. It was pretty much he was saying studying theater is stupid. It just like get experience and that's all you really need to do. Mm. <laughs> and your theater teachers were like, how dare you try um, and take my job away? <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think that went over well, but that's just me always asking questions that maybe I shouldn't. No, you should. You should ask the. How dare you? Okay. Absolutely should. 
So Tessa getting B's and C's in Scotland when she oh, was don't even a, say it. My, a straight my A student. Just... I know. Which is why I'm asking you this. What inspired you to keep going? Like, what was driving you? Um, well, once I was there, I was I was heavily involved in the, the student theater group, which was outside the realm of the department. Hmm. That was really nice because we had this like student theater club that anybody who was studying anything at the at Glasgow Uni could come and be a part of. And there was no, no one in the department was overseeing it. No one in the department was involved in it. They kind of, the kind of the department looked down on it. The department, when I first got there, did put up a couple of productions. And that's when like the golden children of like the department <laughs> were like identified and plucked up and like mm. put in roles and stuff. They stopped doing that in like our third, our like second or third year which meant that those golden children like went off and made their own work and it was beautiful and incredible. But I had already like stuck my foot in the water at the student theater group, student theater at Glasgow Stag, um, and loved it there and met people across loads of different, you know, areas of study. Mm -hmm. So like the people there doing politics, people there doing all this. So once I had that, <laughs> I didn't, I, I like was at the department to keep making work, obviously, and, and like to keep writing essays and mm -hmm. get my degree. Um, but like stag was my life when I was at Glasgow. Like it was all about, I was like the, the department, I was like the secretary for the club. I like was in way too many of the productions. Probably people were like, get out of this show. You've been in the last like six shows. Can you take a break, <laughs> lady? But like all my best friends were there and folks were like, folks would start a show there and maybe split off and like take it to a venue outside of where we normally did our shows. And like, it just was like such a community and such a mm -hmm. tight knit community. And so that community kept me going, even though I was like super disappointed to be getting B's in season. Also, I have this problem, I think, where if I start something, it's e either it's an idea that I never start, <laughs> an idea that I start and then abandon, or it's something that I'm like, I can never quit this. I started playing basketball when I was like, like 10 or something at like all the, and I did it all the way through high school until 11th grade when I finally realized I could just like quit, my mom was like, you don't have to keep doing this. It was effing torture. I hated wow. being on the basketball team by the end, especially. But I was like, my mom was like, you don't have to keep playing basketball. And I was like, what? It was, I think it's a lot of things to. in my life are like that where I'm like, I can't quit now. You know, what's that? The, it's like a fake, it's like a fallacy where we think once you've put certain amount of time in, you have to stick yeah. with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that I ever considered quitting, but I think because I have that mindset of like, I've decided on this, that's my degree. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish it. Like I'm here, I'm finishing it. I mean, that's not a terrible quality to have like the tenacity and the perseverance to like see something through to completion, because I feel like that kind of contributes to the success that you've, you know, come upon and like, <laughs> just like being able to create work of your own, even during the pandemic of like constantly churning out some kind of work that's true I guess. being yeah. like present <laughs> i appreciate you so much yeah <laughs> so i want to go back to glasgow for a minute and um so you're not from there and you speak mm -hmm. speak differently and you have a different accent dialect than everyone else <laughs> yeah did they expect you to speak like them or were you allowed <laughs> to use your authentic <laughs> 
They insisted that I did not speak like them. I <laughs> Anytime I tried to do a Scottish accent while I was in Scotland, people would punch my lights out if I tried. Like they wouldn't actually physically do violence, but they would be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> they were very angry if I tried to do it because I would do because I did it so poorly it wasn't until fully I had been there for five years that I could like even do a Scottish accent but I did English accents for some of the plays and stuff and nobody like batted an eye because the Scots hate the English and also I have a, a pretty good English accent um <laughs> but yeah so they were like you're American but over the five years that I was there my accent did change and what I would get all the time was like are you Canadian Oh. And then when I came back, when I moved back to the U.S., it was very like, where are you from? And I was like, mm. I'm from here in Butler, Pennsylvania. My sisters beat that out of me, like beat any, any talk, any weird talking. But I know, but I don't, cause I didn't know what, what I was doing that was so weird, but I went and visited for like a long, like a 10, I did like 10 days there a few years ago. And when I came back, a kid that I babysit was like, why are you talking like this? You're like, every sentence you say sounds like a question like I clearly had like fallen back into that old speaking pattern right so yeah when you speak with that Scottish accent now yeah do you f feel like it's a different version of yourself does that make sense oh yeah that's oh yeah yeah it does make sense yeah I'm more than having like accents I feel like I have characters mm -hmm. that I that I'm putting on. Like I have my like Scottish, I have my like classy Scottish lady, and then I have my like Glaswegian, and then I have like you know somebody who's like more like from Aberdeen. Um, I, yeah, it's more like I'm doing an impression of a, of a person that I've met or an impression of like a group of people okay. than than that I'm doing an accent. It's kind of what it feels like. Gotcha. And and then you got Catherine Hepburn in there too. Yeah, to well Katie, in. yeah, she's <laughs> she's always around for a good time. Yeah. So your voice has like garnered you some work. So what is it about so that that you feel connected with? Like voice work? Voice yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd always I'd always been imitating with my voice. Like I've any kind of like comedy or any kind of performance I was doing was like some in in the biggest way was vocal like uh you know I might like pull faces or something but like voice was where I had a lot of flexibility and a lot of like yeah I just feel like I, I've always been using my voice for as a tool and so it's not I guess it's not that surprising yeah so I guess it's not because of the experience of using my voice all the time as like a tool and for comedy and like imitation and things it's not like that surprising that yeah I leaned into voiceover work I'd also been told like when I was a kid that I had a good voice and mm -hmm. I did radio like I was identified I was doing like credits for something that our student theater group did through that was like in partnership with the student radio and they were like come do our idents and I was like okay and I did the student radio idents and they were like come be a host on a show like so my voice has like opened doors that I didn't even uh, knock on <laughs> which right. was also really nice and maybe because it was like unique the fact that I was in Glasgow mm -hmm. and American uh, but with like a a more soft kind of uh, more general American accent I think if I was like talking like I was from Pittsburgh 
if I had a Pittsburghese accent, right. I feel like doors would have been slammed in my face. <laughs> but it's like there's such a there's such a class class related like hierarchy of voices and like classism in the UK is really bad. And it's very much based on how you speak and what your voice is like. And I think it's here too, of course, because we have like things like AAV not being like accepted um, for like, if you're applying for a job, you'll be turned away. And like, there's so much because I, I teach public speaking now. Wow. Okay. I'm so aware of it and yeah. so aware of the privilege I have in that not only do I have like my baseline is like a very gentle sound, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then I have so I can just like turn it a bunch of different ways. I'm not stuck in any one thing. Yeah. Did you feel like before you went to Scotland, did you feel like you tried to stay away from that Pittsburgh thing? Did you have Um, to train yourself out of that? No, I don't think I did. I think because we, this is is how like my mom and dad, like my mom and dad weren't like abandoning us. We, (laughs) we listened to them talk all the time, but I think we listened more to like TV Mm. and movies. And that's how we, like we learned to speak from our mom and dad. And I think when we were really young, we probably sounded much more Pittsburgh-y. Um, but yeah, as soon as we were like preteens, we didn't sound Pittsburgh-y at all. Also, like it's pretty, my mom's Pittsburgh accent's pretty mild. And we, all of us kids basically have her voice. <laughs> my dad's yeah. a little more intensely like <laughs> from Pittsburgh. Um, and all of his brothers and our grandparents, very, very Pittsburgh accent-y, but yeah, I feel like the way that like local dialects are kind of dying out because of this, like because of TV and because of movies and things. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. not as prevalent. Gotcha. So speaking of family, was was that sort of a component of why you chose to not stay in the UK? Or why did, why did what was that decision making process like? Or was it you were not allowed yeah. to stay? Yeah. I was not allowed to stay. <laughs> I would would definitely have stayed. Um, I put some like light feelers out to like some guy friends that would they marry me? And they were like, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. and I was like, oh, they think I'm joking. Um, no, I so I yeah, the the process to extend your visa back then, and I think similarly today, was extremely expensive. Like you have to have a lot of money. And you have to have had that money like in your account for three months to like yeah. prove that you're you're not going to like rely on the UK government for funds, which was something I hadn't done already for my whole time at school. But like, I couldn't prove that I had enough in my account for all this time. And my, and you could use like, obviously the way rich people get around it is like parents put money in their kid's account. You know, there's like, I could never have an overdraft in the UK because they were like, Oh, you're American. You'll just like run away and never pay it back Uh... and things like that. So like, and I also could never have a, a debit card. I had a cash card only. Oh, wow. So like my bank account, I had to go to an ATM and get cash out. I couldn't pay for anything on my card, That's... which was wild. When yeah. I finally got a debit card back in the U.S., I was like, woo, I can order stuff online. This is wild. <laughs> um, I see. I see. That was pretty hardcore. Yeah. So yeah. there was definitely some like financial <laughs> stuff in the way by being from the U.S. and not having like super wealthy parents. Yeah. So what was that transition like for you then to go from being there in the UK and then coming back to where you escaped from? 
kind of. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one of the first people I met was so wonderful, which was you. One oh. of the very first people I met. <laughs> um, yeah, it was real weird because, well, when I came back, I wanted to get a job straight away. I like got back in like October and I got like a seasonal job selling like Christmas trinkets at the Butler Mall mm. um, in a trinket shop, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was like, and that's where everybody was like, where are you from? Your vo-? And, you know, I'd say happy holidays and they'd correct me and say, Merry Christmas. Oh. You mean Merry Christmas? You know, mm. like insane bullshit. I was just, it was just culture shock again, like coming mm-hmm. back to the U.S. and being like, oh my gosh, people are, and then I'd be like, oh, you know, I lived in Scotland for a little while. And before I left, people used to be like, will you be able to drink the water? And when I came back, people still like, didn't understand. They were like, is there war there? And I was like, <laughs> what? It's Scotland. Like, are you kidding me? Is there war there? Yeah. People oh. truly do, are just very... Anyway, stuck in also the, brave, the water the brave in Scotland days. Yeah. <laughs> is the most delicious water I've ever drunk oh. in my life. Okay. Yeah. You need to drink some tap water in Scotland and okay, I'll, get ready for I'll the I'll book glory. my ticket right away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was culture shock. And I went from like trinkety retail job to trinkety retail job. And just like any money that the money that I had saved up from mm-hmm. like my jobs in the UK just like ebbed away so quickly because of how little you get paid for jobs here and I had I had a car now and so I had to put gas in it it was just like I had big plans that like when I came back I was just like taking a brief pause and then relaunching to somewhere else yeah I I ended up being in Butler for like two years Mm -hmm. living with my parents Mm -hmm. which like I know people who are living with their parents a lot longer than that and that's fine but like for me, I had just, I just was like, I'm just, this is a pit stop on my way to something big. And then it ended up being a really long pit stop strictly because of finances. Yeah, that's understandable. But I feel like that probably also gave you a lot of time to reflect and really know where you wanted to head and what you wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Originally, I wanted to go to Vancouver. I don't know if I, did I tell you that? When I feel we- like we might have briefly talked about it yeah yeah Yeah. but I yeah (laughs) but also to be fair um like that was kind of like a rough time like financially for everyone because of like the economic crash right 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 it was I got home (laughs) in 2009 yeah so we both graduated in like 2008 right I graduated from college in 2007 and then I went to LA right and there was a writer's strike and there was a writer's strike and then there was a financial strike and then there was a crash and so I was in the same boat as you that's right and so it's we have to give ourselves a little bit of like forgiveness for like having to take a pause because it's not entirely our fault especially in a culture that doesn't really like you know respect supporting artists in a way that is financially viable Right. And both of us were starting over in a place where we didn't have any contacts and we didn't have any like. Right. Any way to like create the work we wanted. It was kind of we were like at the whim of very wonderful (laughs) Butler Little Theater. And also (laughs) and also I feel like perhaps a little bit misunderstood or not understood at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm 
I just feel like I'm not, this is not, I'm not naming names, so I'm not making any attacks, of course, but like we got back to the butler and you got cast as like nothing but like blonde bimbos. I know. That was all that they were producing. I know. Was these kind of roles. And I got cast as like, you know, somebody dropped out. We need you to play an, a 65 year old fat woman. And I was like, great. <laughs> I'm like 22. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's like a very like concentrated, exaggerated version of typecasting, like in a yeah. Hollywood setting almost. It's like everything yeah. is. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was very, considering that it's like, a small community and there are not that many folks it was like they would choose these shows and you were like what what <laughs> <laughs> all right we yeah. could we could try something fun i know there were people there also who were like trying to push for more interesting more diverse more right fun stuff but um, like that gets in <laughs> that kind of mentality like gets into your head though if you will like oh yeah if, you know if yeah we don't have to go down this road. If we That's don't true. Want to. <laughs> we can we can just hit reverse as quick as we want. <laughs> but yeah, you're right that we should take it easy on ourselves. That we, you know, that the entire world was like having a financial crash. Yeah, because we were still trying to create within like our circumstances. Like you mm -hmm. created a one woman show that I went to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I started and a you band. were making albums yeah yeah like yeah we found things to get us to the bridge to our next step I think yeah we're good we're good <laughs> yes yes we're good and also uh, I think all the theater all the local theater is a lot it has a lot of energy to it and a lot of like great community and I want to say that and also yeah. like um is doing a lot more interesting stuff now, I feel like. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. So you went on to New York. I went on to New York. On I went. You went on. <laughs> you went on. <laughs> and... Yeah, which was only possible because um, I totaled my car right before <laughs> right before I was moving. And, That's uh, how the, you managed. The, they gave me the money <laughs> for the car. And I was like, gotcha. great. Well, divine, divine intervention. Right? <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, I'm a good driver. So you went to New York and I, I feel like you found your way and blossomed and, you know, found a community there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it took, it took a little while. And like, I've been so lucky that I've had, I've been able to have a few different communities there, like that I'm still part of but um yeah yeah I feel like yeah there's now yeah. especially I have I, <laughs> I'm gonna say yeah a hundred times um yeah when I first got there um I was doing this like insane dreadful job but made a made some really great friends right off the bat I feel like that's the way you make a lot of friends right at insane like terrible jobs, jobs yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah basically every Every great group of friends has <laughs> either from some kind of performance situation or from some kind of horrible, horrible work situations. But, um, but I was an, apart from the horrible job, then I ushered at the public theater. That was an awesome job. 
and I made really great friends there mm-hmm. um, who I still am in touch with and who I love dearly. And then did a Renaissance fair and made some really great friends there as well. Then uh, after the Ren Fair is when I found the Magnet Theater, which is an improv theater. And that's improv, sketch, storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's really been a community that has been so important for me <laughs> and is so important to like the landscape of New York comedy and just like, oh, the Magnet is the magnet is for me like the student theater at Glasgow. Gotcha. Okay. The thing Found that like, pulls me through yeah. that I'm mm-hmm. I'm sticking it out for. Fantastic. <laughs> and you've also created quite a bit of original work that has gotten some recognition. Yeah. 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 You want to talk about that? And... <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's give yourself some. Do you mean the plays? <laughs> Yeah, like the, the plays. plays. Yeah, okay. the plays that you've written, the play that you wrote and took back to Pittsburgh, which had to be kind of a trip to, yeah, like you know, be in New York and write a show and then be like, hey, Pittsburgh, look, I did something and you know, succeeded. Yeah, <laughs> it still doesn't feel like success. That like I've still never made any money, you know. <laughs> like, but um, not that money equals success. But um, yeah. So I made. Well, I made that show that you saw in Butler, which was like an <laughs> eight minute long exploration of like the fame of Lady Gaga and right. how great she is <laughs> and was a wild time. And that's kind of but that's like my style of performance. That eight minute Lady Gaga mm-hmm. is 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 what my performances are like. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I, I actually saw you in one. The Life in Plastic one. Right? Oh, you came to see Life yeah, in Plastic. I did. Yeah. So then. Actually, Life in Plastic was the next show I made after that. I met a great director doing a terrible internship. I met a great director, Rebecca Cunningham, who's now, of course, the CEO uh, host of Girl Tales podcast, which I work on. Um, yeah, what an incredible lady. She, I met her doing this uh, real fun production in a real terrible internship. And I was like, hey, I want to do a solo show. Will you direct it? It was about Barbie (laughs) and like Barbie and me. uh, And it was called Life in Plastic. And that won a couple like awards that had nothing to do with me. Like it won like a set design award because we had an awesome set designer. And then after that, I made a real, another really short, like eight minute thing about Joan of Arc. So yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of these solo shows so far have in common, like a feminine icon right? um, that is, that is in some ways like maybe controversial, but um, because even Joan of Arc was controversial, right? Like absolutely, hate so Joan of Arc. What what is like your inspiration behind that? I usually am drawn to like uh, feminist themes. I would say, like uh, the Barbie one, the Barbie show, Life in Plastic was like strongly, strongly about body image and like how it can be damaged or upheld, and how like different different things that can impact you. Uh, and your body image as you develop as you're young um uh Joan of Arc I think was like very much inspired by this like story of like you know a woman who has to like let go of everything that like defines you as a woman in order to like lead men and then the most recent show which is Tentacles uh was much more about like women's sexuality and like how what's the sort of idea of like feminine sexuality women and and more like the idea of like women as being treated as objects or women you know having agency 
in their own sexuality through the lens of tentacle porn. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and that's the show that i brought back to pittsburgh and that one that won some awards uh here at the frigid fringe uh which is hosted at the crane theater and under saint mark's which is horse trade theater there they have been so good to me and so good to like theater in general like they're the cranes like on the east fourth arts block you know right next to like la mama mm-hmm. right next to um new york theater workshop like they're right in it and they're just a great place for like developing work and for voices and news, new work. And yeah, yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of theirs and yeah. And then we, so we won some awards at Frigid Fringe, came to Pittsburgh Fringe, got invited <laughs> to Tampa Fringe, but we couldn't actually do that show, unfortunately. Then we took like a nice little break um, and we did the APAPS uh, which are Association of Performing Arts Producers Festival. That's like a conference essentially that happens every year in January. And we took tentacles there. And the idea was like, we'll get bookers and we'll get producers to like book us in venues, mm-hmm. whether that's colleges or, cause like there's a big, big questions about like consent. Gotcha. We actually, I wrote tentacles. We We were developing it right before the like, Harvey Weinstein scandal mm. and the like relaunch of uh, Me Too, which was already a thing, but like it right. came to s- such much more consciousness. So we were developing Tentacles and we had, we actually had our first reading of it like in August of uh, 2017, I guess that is. And then October 2017, we had like a reading at the Magnet. And then it was like end of October that the Harvey Weinstein scandal like erupted launching so many things was that 2017 yeah 2017 I think right I believe so because it was after the women's march yes yes yeah um yeah so yeah so we brought anyway we did not get any (laughs) bookings (laughs) at the producing conference because I'm very bad at networking and also because the people who did come and see it were like this is great I have no idea where to send you with this. Like, I I can't send you to like a small town in New Jersey's arts center. They're not ready. That's like what we mostly heard was Mm -hmm. like, they're not ready. (laughs) Well, I think that's a testament to the unique voice that you have, though. Like, that's a big compliment in some ways. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take it as a compliment. And then (laughs) that was just like so disappointing to me. And then also that like immediately after we did that is when I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. And it was like, ah, time to do some work oh. on me and not uh, try and traipse around with this tentacle porn show. I see. <laughs> do you want to talk about that process at all? Like working through that, the eating disorder um, thing? You don't have to, but you're welcome to share. I I'm I will say like that was two years ago now mm-hmm. and I'm still working through stuff like I feel like every day (laughs) so yeah I'm part of a great cool awesome group uh a lady called Kelsey Jepson is running an embody love workshop to like encourage you to like not like love your body like not in like such a it sounds so dumb to say but like I I thought like when we talked about scars versus wounds and like where you're writing from Mm -hmm. I had written um life in plastic like thinking like this is how I like 
put close the chapter on like body image issues for myself. Uh. And I was like, ah, I will finish this show in like 2014. And then I never need to worry about body image ever again. And like, here we are so many years later and I'm still, and I'm like in a new group, like just like still working through this same fucking shit. Cause it still is out there and it's still in your head as well. Right. Anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> well, that's good. Can... Like you're using your your writer's voice as a way to to share a message. So if you're like thinking these things, then others are bound to be thinking them as well. So, you're probably right about that. I think you're right. <laughs> you're you're turning your pain into a medicine to be very Buddhist about it. Oh my goodness, I gotta read that essay when you finish it. <laughs> <laughs> ah. It's been awesome. So I don't want to keep you too long. I don't want to keep you. I was <laughs> lying. I do want to keep you too long. <laughs> but this is like this is like a good point to segue into my final question because we're talking about like your writing voice and sharing messages within your work and uh, reaching people. So the final question that I ask people is if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? Oh, my gosh. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? I'm like torn. Is it like believe women? Or is it like... you, you can have more than one billboard. Okay. Okay. I have like I have like five billboards that follow each other along the highway. Like the movie. <laughs> like that movie. The three billboards and Oh yeah. What do I call it? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, probably a great movie. I haven't seen it yet because I'm scared of because I'm nervous it's gonna be too much for me. But I'll see it. I'll watch it. First billboard says believe women (laughs) I guess the second billboard is like this is what I heard is the third billboard like a question to the reader what did you hear (laughs) because I a lot of my work as you know involves audience participation or like a a, like dialogue of some sort and And participation different perspectives and ways of absorbing yeah that we receive yeah yeah fourth billboard (laughs) I think the fourth and the fifth billboard are probably super tied to someone whose work influenced me the most of anyone which is Adrian Howells um, a professor at Glasgow Uni who actually well yeah I I would say he was a professor but when I was when I was there um, he was doing like a lot of workshops and things um and I don't think he was like officially on staff yet, but eventually he was. And he did practice as research. So he made work that was autobiographical and that was some of the most beautiful theater experiences I've ever been privileged to see. Mm-hmm. And he unfortunately passed a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his motto was, it's all allowed. But I think my billboards from what I gained from watching his work and experiencing his work and doing workshops with him is fourth billboard would say, here's my pain. Mm -hmm. And fifth billboard would say, you can share your pain with me too. Oh, Oh. yeah. (laughs) Collective pain. Yeah. But then maybe there's a sixth board. It's like, let's find joy together. I think there's got to be six billboards. My budget is not enough, but I need six. (laughs) Yeah, as as we transform our pain and then it can turn to joy. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think the collective experience is what creates that joy. 
And then, like, the duality of this reality is, like, can you even experience joy without the pain? Great question that is asked by a great movie. <laughs> What's that The kid's movie with, like, sadness and joy? Pixar? But, Inside Out. Anyway, yeah. Right. You can't have the light without the darkness. You can't see the light without the darkness. Oof. You're so good. <laughs> I can't wait to read your essay. Oh, boy. Well, I can't either. Gotta write this. <laughs> uh, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. So if people would like to find your work and what you're up to on the interweb, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of stuff there at Tessa Flannery. And then I have a website, you know. Yeah, I will um, add that into the show notes so people can just click on it easily. It's not that updated. I should update it all now. Um, but yeah, that tessaflannery.com and at tessaflannery on Instagram. That's pretty much where Perfect. I'm hanging out. Excellent. <laughs> and the Girl Tales podcast, if they want. Oh, yeah. To... Yeah. Yeah. Girl Tales Look podcast away. is for kids and or grownups, but it's uh, fairy tales and stories from for kids rewritten so that they are. Uh, I'm doing a terrible job of plugging this. <laughs> but they're rewritten so that they are feminist and they are inclusive and they are uplifting and great. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing Thank that, you. actually, and having that to be offered to the world and children. It's, it's my privilege to be part of. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.